The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? In the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white? the blood of the Lamb. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. And I'm here to talk with you about Jesus, but I have much that I need to bring to you today 
and there's an urgency in my heart to share all of it. First, I must begin with an apology to the Shiloh Baptist Church. I made a mistake yesterday. I make those sometimes, and when I do, I come back and talk about it, because integrity is very important to me. There is an article on World Net Daily on the Internet with an author, Joe Kovax, K-O-V-A-C-S, writing, Christian Church in D.C. hires married lesbians to lead flock. Christian is in quotes. Obviously, I don't consider the church that hired lesbians to be their pastors, I don't consider them to be Christian. They are a religion, but they are not of the Christian faith. I'll read just a portion to you. Despite the Bible's clear opposition to homosexual relations in both the Old and the New Testaments, a Baptist church in the heart of the nation's capital has just named a married lesbian couple to co-pastor its flock. Calvary Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., presented Maria and Sally to its congregation during morning worship on Sunday with the woman's official duties. To begin, and the date for their beginning is February 26. It is the Calvary Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. that is not a Christian church, And I have to say to you, I am utterly ashamed of them and of what they have done in opposition to the Word of God. We are not called to compromise with our culture. We're called to stand up and call for righteousness and speak truth. I'm astonished that the pastors of Washington, D.C. are not rising up and speaking boldly against this. It grieves my heart. So I apologize to the Shiloh Baptist Church, for they are not the ones. It is rather the Calvary Baptist Church who severed their connection in 2012 with the Southern Baptist Convention over the issue of homosexuality. I respect the Southern Baptist Convention for taking a stand against wickedness in their churches. Now, let's move to what I need to share with you today. There are many questions that some of you have regarding sanctification and regarding walking with Jesus and entire sanctification, and all of these topics we'll be delving into in the coming weeks. But today I'd like to come back with part two to yesterday, if you missed yesterday's broadcast, on selfishness and on coming into union with Jesus. I urge you to go back and listen to that broadcast of January 10, 2017. It is on our webpage, 
nationalprayerchapel.com. It is there both in video form and in podcast form. If you haven't been yet to our webpage, please please go to the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. It will give you information that will help you in your walk with Jesus. Now, please understand, I'm not interested in religion. I'm interested in a honest walk of union with Jesus Christ. I am interested in entire sanctification and holiness. I am interested in the gates of righteousness being open to us and walking with integrity in Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit has been dealing very kindly with me, and I'd like to, in a very vulnerable way, share with you my experience of the last 24 hours and invite you to partake in the same experience that I'm going through as I am being confronted by the Holy Spirit. It is painful, but it is joyous. To give you background, we need to go back to the third chapter of the book of Genesis. This is a story that I must continually refer back to, and I am learning more and more about this, this story and the depth of it as I follow Jesus. Genesis, the third chapter, I'll begin with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He comes using a literary device, irony, pretending that things are not what they seem to be. God does not ever use irony in the scriptures. It is the devil who uses that literary device. The serpent or the dragon in scripture are the same, and they represent the fallen angel Lucifer, the devil, Beelzebub, Apollyon. This is who we're dealing with. And he has come to deceive and to destroy and to take control of Adam and Eve and the world. And we see the evidence of what he has accomplished everywhere about us. He says, did God really say, like, you can't believe God really said that, do you? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Now he directly contradicts the word of God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, 
and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Remember, there is a tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are both there in the garden. They have been commanded not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll explain that in just a moment. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now they had had sweet fellowship as God came to court his bride. He came every day in the cool of the evening to walk with them and to talk and to fellowship with them. This time they hid. Their hearts were naked. They were ashamed. What was it that made them naked, and what was it that made them ashamed? Eve and Adam put forth their hand to take for themselves what God had not given to them. They were only to receive from the hand of God what he would give to them. But they had reached out their hand to take for themselves what they thought they needed in order to survive, to prosper. And so now the curses are pronounced, increase in the pains and childbearing, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, and the ground is to be cursed for Adam. He's going to have to, by the sweat of his brow, eat his food. And then he's going to die and return to the dust. But in Genesis 3.15, this wonderful promise is given. And I will put enmity, that is, hatred, between you and the woman between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan struck Jesus and crucified him, but Jesus crushed the head of the devil by becoming a sacrificial atonement, a high priest offering a sacrificial atonement, and he was that atonement. The Messiah came. The victory is yet to be declared in its final form where the devil is cast into the fire. Now yesterday I read to you a, a passage of scripture found in Ecclesiastes 8.11. 
because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Ecclesiastes 8.11 The book of Ecclesiastes is declaring that the heart of man is utterly evil. We see that the heart of Adam and Eve became evil, and the curses are pronounced upon them. But a Savior is promised. Now the question becomes, how do we then begin to enter in to that salvation? This coming Sunday, I'm going to be preaching at the National Prayer Chapel on what we must do to be saved. But let me say some things about the Holy Spirit and this process of salvation. For my one concern is that first, I do the will of God, that I be made righteous, entirely sanctified and holy, and that you likewise be able to enter in, made holy, saved, sanctified, entirely sanctified. It begins with the call of the Holy Spirit in our heart. And as he ignites that spark in our heart, we begin to respond to Jesus and his kindness. Now that happened for me when I was a child. But because of false teaching and because of the devil's power to twist the word of God, I never grew up in Jesus. I was still self-serving. I was still ambitious. I was still reaching out to grasp what I needed for me. Oh, very religious, but an opportunist. And always reaching for that next great opportunity to accomplish what I desired and that was to be a successful pastor and do something for God as though I could do something for God there comes a time when we are faced squarely with the question will you or will you not enter into covenant with Jesus Christ For me, it it began to turn when I stood at my father's casket and recognized that he was a holy, righteous man and that I was not. And it resulted in my beginning to pray. I finally said, I have to find out if there is really a God who answers prayer And so I dedicated one hour a day to pray. I would leave my office and go to my bedroom and close the door as he instructed. And I would cry out to God with a very specific prayer request that he would answer. That one hour grew into four, five, and six hours a day. 
as I learned to pray the Psalms and I learned to pray the Scriptures and he began to draw me into his heart to prepare me to finally answer the question, will I allow Jesus full control of my life? And as of yet, even though a pastor, the Lord did not have full control of my life. And so, after a year of prayer, God answered in a very dramatic, audible way that terrified me. I now knew God was real. It was in 1990 that I had an experience that has forever changed my life. I want to describe it for you briefly, being very vulnerable with you. Some of you have heard this story and some of you have not. Please forgive me if you've already heard me talk about this story. My wife Jan, my late wife Jan and I, had closed the church that was a worldly church in Washington, D.C., one that I had founded. The Lord had said to me, This is your church, not mine. If you really mean to follow me, close this church. And so I had. And I had made arrangements for financial support, and we moved to Moreno Valley, California, to open a new church that would be a very different kind of church. It would not be the church with all of the rock and roll. It would not be the the human flesh church, the seeker-sensitive. It would be a Holy Spirit church. When we arrived in California, we made arrangements for an office and we began the process of opening the church. Shortly thereafter, all of our financial resources were cut off. Miraculously, people that I had trusted for many years, who had made large commitments, had circumstances change in their life where they could no longer do what they had promised for us. And we were left hanging in California, away from family and friends. And now we were in trouble. Soon all of our resources were gone. We tried to find jobs and could not. My late wife did find a job with the Anaheim Community Hospital with a physician who was director of the Orange County Medical Society, a nephrologist. She was to be the director of a center that they were establishing. But as time went on, it became very clear that that was not what God had called her to, and she finally resigned her position and came home and said, Would you teach me the scriptures, Ray? I need to do what you're doing. I need to pray with you. And at that point, I was going to the prayer closet early in the morning, and I was staying there with my face before God all day, the same as I would if I had a full-time job. My full-time job was to seek the face of God to rescue us from this dire place we were in. 
as time passed and resources disappeared, our savings were all stripped away. We lost two houses. We lost our retirement. We lost everything. We were stripped down and there was a repo order on our new car where we could not pay for it. We were several months behind. We were to be evicted from the house. All of the utilities were to be shut off. And I was desperate, more desperate than I'd ever been in my entire life. There was simply no hope. We had written fundraising letters and they came back empty. God cut off every avenue of support for us and we were left bare. And finally, we ran out of food. We used the last of the ketchup to make tomato soup. We ate the condiments and we were hungry. Our credit cards were maxed out with $70,000 of credit card debt as we tried to save ourselves. And at that point, in utter despair and hopelessness, I began to say, how can I get Jan to a place of safety? How can I rescue her? And I was at the point of calling her parents and saying, please, would you send her a plane ticket and bring her to safety? I began to envision myself walking out into the desert and there waiting on God, and if he did not answer me, I would die. I was at the utter end of all hope. My world had been utterly destroyed. Every resource was gone. I woke up that Saturday morning and I began to weep uncontrollably, loudly. My late wife Jan was desperately concerned for me. She had never seen me like this. It was shocking to her to see me at this total broken place of utter hopelessness, utter despair, crying out to God at the top of my voice. She gently said to me, Ray, you need to take a bath this morning. And so she walked with me to the tub and ran the water. I got into the bathtub it was one of those tubs with sliding glass doors, frosted. I sat in that bath and I began to cry out at the top of my lungs to God. I said to him, Oh God, I'm going to die. And he answered. I heard him audibly as I'm speaking with you and you're hearing me. He said to me, 
Good. I've been waiting for you to die. And all of the anger and rage at God burst forth from my heart. And I said, How can you treat me this way after all that I have done, after I have sacrificed everything to follow you? How can you, how can you treat me this way, God? And very quietly came back the answer, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And those words so struck my heart that all of the anger was gone. My heart was utterly humbled before God. And I answered him, What would you have me do? And he answered, words so profound that they have shaped and changed my life. He asked me a question. Will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? And I humbly said, yes. Yes. And then I, it seemed, could hear him turn and begin to walk away. And I said, is there anything else? And he answered, as from a distance, yes, turn the television off. For you see, every day when I would leave the prayer closet, I would go and take the drug, the television. And so from 5.30 to 6 on into one thirty or 2 in the morning, I would feast on the darkness. He said, turn the television off. I sat stunned. I opened the sliding glass door, and Jan was anxiously standing outside. I said to her, Did you hear that conversation with God? She said, No, Ray, I haven't heard any sound from you. I was becoming quite concerned. I said, God spoke to me. I could barely speak, and for the rest of the day I could barely speak. I finally was able to tell her what had occurred. We had no food in the house. We were hungry. I got out of the bathtub. I got dressed. I sat with my Bible. I went before the Lord. There was a knock at our door. It was a man standing there who said, Do you all need food? We said, Yes. He went to the car and he brought back, trip after trip, 16 bags of groceries. And that night we feasted on steak an abundance of food. But still, there was a repo order on our car. We were still facing the eviction. We were still facing the, the utilities all being cut off. A man came and knocked at our door. He said, 
Pastor, I have someone you need to meet. This was a man I had casually met at the mall. He said, Would you come with me? I want to introduce you to someone. I said, Yes, I'll come with you. I went with him, and he took me to an attorney who represented a Christian organization. I sat down in this attorney's plush office. The attorney did some small chit-chat, and then he said, Pastor, how can I help you? I said, I don't have any idea how you can help me. I don't know why I'm here. He said to me, do you need money? I said, yes, I do need money. He went to a safe and he pulled out a briefcase. He set it on the the table and he said, I purchased these gems some years ago and I now need to liquidate them, but I've been unsuccessful. I'll pay you 15% of everything you can sell. I said, I have no idea what even a gem is. He said, here, let me show you. And all of the gems were in little baggies with their weight, with a price. So I walked out of that attorney's office with a briefcase full of a quarter of a million dollars worth of gems on a handshake. We watched the next day for the repo man and when he did not appear at our at our door we had enough gas to take us to barstow california we didn't know we were going to barstow we just said lord we're going to drive and wherever you take us that's where we'll go there was a gem show that we didn't know about in barstow the tents were all set up outside of the town and so we went to the gem show and we went to the largest tent I spoke with the owner who was selling his gems and his jewelry, and I said, we have gems for sale. Would you be interested? And he said, surprisingly, yes. Come back this evening at the end of the show to my motor home, and I'd like to look at what you have. And so I did so, walking fearfully with a briefcase in my hand all day, hanging on tight, frightened that someone might steal it from us. That evening, he purchased over $50,000 worth of gems and paid me cash. We took that money to the attorney the next day, and he paid us a 15% commission. With that money, we were able to pay all of our back financial obligations. And then the Lord spoke once more and said, Now go back to Washington, D.C. I won't tell that story, but many years prior to this, the Lord had assigned me to Washington, D.C., and all of my ministry has basically been in this city of Washington. By his hand, he led us back here. By his hand, he opened the National Prayer Chapel and moved in Pastor David Wilkerson from the Times Square Church to, over a period of time, donate in excess of $150,000 to establish the National Prayer Chapel. He is the one I consider to be my pastor. 
if you know of Pastor David Wilkerson, you know of his integrity and his holiness, and you perhaps know also that he has now passed to his reward. My heart is grieved that he is gone. But now let me bring you up to date. I have continually stood by faith that God would open the way before me according to his will, that he would that he would give to me only what he desired to give to me. Now I could say much about that, but I want to get now right to the heart of what I need to say to you today and where the struggle in my life has been and where I have had to turn in deep repentance to the Lord. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is essentially the tree our culture feasts on. As I shared with you yesterday, basic selfishness and wickedness rules the heart of man. We are at heart evil, totally degenerate. And if it were not for the fact that Jesus promised that he would put a small space between us and the devil, we would not even be able to repent. But out of his mercy, we can repent because he has given to us that gift of enmity, hatred toward the works of the devil. Now, I had entered into a covenant with Jesus that I would only receive from his hand what he would choose to give to me. And based on that covenant, the National Prayer Chapel was established and this broadcast was established. Now he told me the National Prayer Chapel would not grow as a normal church, that in one day revival would break out and in one day the National Prayer Chapel would be established as a holiness revival movement. And so it is of no concern to me that the National Prayer Chapel at this point is a small gathering, a small fellowship, perhaps 45 people. I don't know. I don't count them. It's not important to me. I know that God is calling together those men and women who will be the staff of the National Prayer Chapel, and he's trained them through the years. Some have blown away out of their own selfishness. They have reached out to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what they thought they needed. Others, for other reasons, work or other reasons, have left the prayer chapel, and we have blessed them as they have gone. But let me tell you what the heart of this message is. It is this, that God calls a man or a woman in covenant to say, I will serve you, Jesus Christ, and I will serve you alone. I will only receive from your hand what you choose to give me. I will not go out on my own and grab what I think I need in order to survive. Now, I made that covenant with God. But what he's been convicting me of in these last days are all the many ways 
that I have in inconsequential, I thought, ways reached out to take what I believe I needed in order to do the work of the gospel. I have reached out and without even being aware of it have touched the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now part of what God does is he begins to confront us in those ways we are reaching out in selfishness to open the way for ourselves. Most recently, I was in a position to purchase another car. My car had broken down the 1996 Toyota Camry and the repair bill was supposed to be more than the car was worth, and so I made a decision. I need to ask the Lord to give me the money because I need a new car, and the monies were available. And for some time I struggled. Shall I buy that new car, or shall I wait on the Lord to open the way for a new car? Shall I do what I know I can do to both raise the money and step out and get that car. And some people said to me, Pastor, you have to have faith, so stretch out and God will provide. And You can go in debt. You can finance the car. You can afford the monthly payment. And the Lord rebuked me. And he said, Receive only from my hand what I choose to give you. And I chose to give you that old 1996 Toyota Camry. And the Lord, in fact, did give me that car. And so by faith, I took the car to have it repaired. And the cost of the repair was only half of what they had estimated it to be at the Toyota garage. I praise God, and the car is now solid, and I'm driving it day by day, and I'm driving it with great joy because I know it is what the Lord has chosen to give me. It is not what I chose for myself. And the monies that I had, the Lord showed me what he wanted to do with those monies, And he had me support men and women who needed support and were in crisis. You see, the very heart of man is by nature selfish and self-providing. If you want to be entirely sanctified, you're going to have to allow the Lord God of heaven to get a handle on your life and he does that when you stop reaching out and taking what you want and protecting yourself he does it when you stop providing for yourself and begin to trust him to provide for you and as you allow him to provide for you 
Selfishness is broken in your heart. Now, do you suffer? Yes. There is no righteousness without self-denial, and there is no righteousness without suffering. The suffering is when we turn away from our own way, when we turn away from reaching out for ourselves and providing for ourselves, and trust God to bring to us what He wants us to have. Right now, I do not have a wife. I need a partner to walk with me. And some have suggested, why don't you go on eHarmony, or why don't you go to some other dating site, and why don't you see who the Lord will send to you? That's a very seductive offer, isn't it? No, I'm to wait on the Lord, and he will provide the one that he has chosen. He doesn't want me to go try to pick a wife off a tree. That's not how you find the wife God wants you to have, or the husband God wants you to have. Some of you have done that, and you're lying down in torment. As the Word of God says, when you light your own torch and you walk by the light of that, you will lie down in torment. I want only what the Lord will provide for me, whether it be financial resources, FM radio, national radio. I could right now begin a a serious fundraising campaign and touch all the people I know, and probably out of that, raise the money necessary to go on FM radio. But then I would know that I had done it and God had not done it. I am not ambitious to be successful. I am desiring only that which God will give to me in his time and in his way. I will not provide for myself. I will not provide for the National Prayer Chapel. You see, the heart of God is benevolence. The heart of God is to give. And he wants me to be in a place where I give as he directs me, in the way he directs me, without regard for myself or what I need. See, the scriptures teach, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that is, authority, Seek first the rule of God over my heart. It's not a geographic kingdom. It is the kingdom of God's authority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things that the pagans desire will be added to you. They will be given to you. A Christian no longer works for money. A Christian works to serve Jesus Christ in whatever that assigned place is. So what I'm trying to say to you today is that the Lord has been confronting me over very small ways that I've been continually reaching out to provide for myself. And the Lord is saying, stop, repent. And so I've been examining every action and every movement 
and identifying carefully, was that because I thought I had the right to reach out and provide for myself, or was that the Lord? And where does he call me to give, and to whom does he call me to give? My time, my energy, the money that he has brought to me. You see, my time is not mine. My energy is not mine. My health is not mine. My money is not mine. They all belong to Jesus because I have made a covenant to only receive from his hand what he will choose to give me. And if you are receiving because you are reaching out your hand and taking, as I have done, he is calling you to repent to enter into a covenant with him that you will serve Jesus. And when you do this, immediately God begins to draw you, even as he drew me, into the school of the Holy Spirit. And as you're drawn into the school of the Holy Spirit, you begin to recognize ways that you are taking care of yourself You begin to be aware of ways that you are complaining and grumbling about your circumstances. You begin to identify bitterness that has risen up in your heart. You begin to identify ways that you have turned away from the Lord because he did not answer your prayer and did not provide for you what you thought you wanted and needed. And as you are able to, by the Spirit, identify those things, and turn away from them, please be clear with me, entire sanctification is not some mystical experience. Entire sanctification is merely that covenant confirmed that I will follow Jesus, and I will only receive from his hand what he chooses to give me, and then being led down that path of of self-denial, being led down that path of suffering as I turn away from providing for myself and no longer simply acting because I have the capacity to get what I think I need, whether that be something material or something emotional, if that be a relationship. I only want the relationships that Jesus will give to me. And so I have stopped reaching out and trying to grab relationships. I want only that which Jesus gives me. I respond as the Holy Spirit calls me to respond to those he brings into my life. And I've had to humble my heart and say, Jesus, in this very painful desert place. Please teach me that there is only life in the tree of life. The tree of life is literally Jesus Christ. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is literally the devil. It is a devil tree. And so if you think you can, as a Christian, reach out and take what you desire. You will not walk with Jesus Christ. 
In chapter 2 of Second Peter, I urge you, take time and read carefully Second Peter, the second chapter. And you will find many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. In other words, destruction hangs over the wicked and the selfish. Destruction hangs over those who reach out to take for themselves what they desire. We're going to continue this broadcast tomorrow. I urge you to be here for the entire hour. I think you'll find it most helpful. Now we're out of time for today. I do earnestly invite you to give as the Lord God of Heaven calls you to give. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com and there you'll find our address. I invite you to support this broadcast as the Holy Spirit calls you to support this broadcast. Do what the Holy Spirit calls you to do. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. You're welcome to come. We'd love to meet you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for considering these things I've shared with you. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.